Welcome to our podcast. We are here to give you fun, unadulterated, good tidbit advice. Listen, auntie got you because clearly some of y'all don't know what y'all doing. It's COVID out here. Don't be spending on nothing. (laughs) Am I the angry one? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just love that he doesn't participate no other time. But when I ask him, am I the angry one? Mm Between the two of us, I'm the nice one. If that's what helps you sleep at night. I'm Auntie Allie. And I'm Auntie Shauna. <laughs> welcome to the Auntie's Amber Podcast. Hi, guys. This is Auntie Allie. And this is Auntie Shauna. And welcome to the Auntie Humber Podcast. This week, we are so excited because we realized that a lot of you are going back to work working from home, graduating, ending internships. And we really want to get the conversation rolling of what's your next step and what you should really be looking for um, in the interview process. And I and Shauna just recently completed a interview process. Shauna is now a senior teacher um, at a wonderful high school. And I have just recently switched over to a new television network. And my interview process was four and a half months long. So um, I had to pack some patience <laughs> and I really had to be on board, on stage all the time because the interview process is really selling yourself. It's almost like a constant performance with people judging you, asking you questions, and you really need to be on your P's and Q's. So Shauna and I are not too far removed from the interview process. We're in it just like most of our listeners. But I know from my experience in management, I like to push for soft skills. And soft skills are sometimes not taught in the school environment. And you really don't learn about them until you've probably gone through an assessment or someone calls you out on them. And my um, soft skills that I like to, not rating them from most important to least important, but it's time management, adaptability, creativity and having interpersonal skills. I like to work on this. It's very important for your career development. I like to give real-time feedback. I like to see that every moment, and I use every moment as a teaching moment, you know, you make a mistake. What can we learn from this so that it doesn't happen again? So that you can see, um, have the hindsight to think about what's going to happen, to be proactive. Super important to do these things. And I know from personal experience, um, I didn't have (laughs) the most amazing soft skills early on in my career. I was a little rough because I learned the hard skills. I learned the physical attributes of television and production and being on set. But no one really taught me about working with different personalities and sending out an email that doesn't sound aggressive. You know, some people talk about using all caps when you send a text. It's also a thing when you send an email. And it's really communicating yourself, presenting yourself. Shana likes to talk about presentation. Oh, yes, that's super important. Um, So in teaching, soft skills are kind of how you sell the game. Uh, Being able to switch in between the harsher or stricter part of yourself as also showing a softer, more vulnerable side is a space you constantly have to navigate because I am around a different, a bunch of different personalities on a very consistent basis. Um, but for me, when I talk about the interview process, I like to talk about the optics of the interview process. And I think it's something that people know about, but tend to glaze over because they feel like their resume 
will supersede what's first seen and your optics are what see, uh, is what's seen first. So I think it's important to understand, especially with uh, this week is all things combined together, make up who you are and how you stand out in that interview. So for starters, you should just own staple pieces in your wardrobe. Um, these are just basic pieces that can be dressed up or dressed down, but I feel like these are just pieces that you sh everyone should have. Um, so some sort of a white button up or blouse, black or navy blue slacks, cardigans or blazers, closed toe dress shoes that are not distracting and a very basic of black or brown or some sort of neutral color. Earrings, yes, you can wear them by all means, knock yourself out, but also remember that your jewelry shouldn't be distracting. Um, always feel free if you only have those staple pieces to add a pop of color so that it's something that stands out about you. Your hair matters. And in 2001, we'd like to say that we can all be supernatural and not worry about hair, but your hair matters. So please make sure at the very least it's clean. If you are colored, try to think about the industry you're entering and whether or not that color is going to be something that's acceptable. I like that you said the industry that you're in because I'm in the creative field, both Lance and I, and our dress rules are not as tight as it would be for you in the classroom. We do live, we work in a creative space. So we have purple hair, red hair, um, tattoos, tattoos. Kids. We worked with people who showed up to work every day in cargo shorts. Um, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it depends. On it depends on your field. In. So in teaching in New York, there is no specific strict dress code. I can say that I have worked at schools where although there's not a dress code for New York City teachers, that the school itself has an air of a dress code that the teachers sometimes follow. So I worked at a uniform school. And so that my students felt like I was in the struggle with them. I would wear slacks and blouses every day, except for Friday and Friday would be my dress down day. And that was my way of connecting with the students. Um, so I can't say that I haven't worn colored hair to work. It's New York. I'm gonna kind of do what I want, but I tend to save that for later on in the school year. And I don't do it for interviews just because I, I want to, create this performance of what I feel like professionalism is. I'll definitely rock my little fro. I've gone twist outs, I've had locks, I've had braids, um, I've had wigs. It doesn't matter, but I'll typically keep it like a standard color because sometimes with schools, you don't know who's the principal and how their principal views you. Um, so hair, I'd say do it for the industry that you're entering, but at the very least it should be clean and it should be neat. And these are just our point of view of the interviewing process, but today's guest is Dr. Ashley Ashir Adams, and she is a career development strategist who has mentored hundreds of women to leverage their expertise and navigate the next steps of their career. So pretty much in short, she will help you get unstuck. Because <laughs> I, I know I felt unstuck at my last employer. They weren't there. They weren't really, a, mm. Mm. they didn't really have a career development plan. <laughs> For, for us, but um, joining us today is Ashley. Round of applause. Woo Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. So I wanna ask you with COVID and quarantine of 2020, 
the interviewing and hiring process has changed a little bit and also remained the same in some of its archaic ways. How do you stand out in the sea of applicants? The way to stand out in the sea of applicants um, hasn't changed. And while the marketplace has changed dramatically um, across all sectors, <clears throat> a, a candidate, a job candidate's primary um, ability to stand out in the marketplace um, hinges on their ability to be able to clearly articulate the transformation of the impact of their work to the employer. Um, and that's what I teach professional women how to do. You need to be able to clearly articulate the impact of your work. You need to be able to what I call share the delta or to be able to articulate the change um, of the uh, the change in the organization, in the process, in the product, um, in the client, the customer, the service, the student, um, from when you started at the organization to the point in which you are describing it to an employer. Um, employers have problems and they are seeking um, employees to solve said problems. So your ability to articulate how you solve problems, the change um, and the impact of your work is critical to stand out in a competitive marketplace. Now, for example, at my previous employer, I was there from the very beginning, it was a startup and it grew significantly and so did my responsibilities but my title and pay did not increase. My title and pay did not change. How should I have navigated that situation when I was looking to get promoted? Because the primary I got frustrated. I felt like I was being taken advantage of. They also knew that I was being taken advantage of, but the market was in such a way that um, leaving wasn't really an option. Mm -hmm. So the, the, if I were mentoring you, the first thing that I would address is um, the, this mindset that the market dictates your career development. Uh, the market is the market. The market is like air. It's always going to be there. It's the ozone, right? It's always going to be there. It's always going to be fluctuating. It's always going to be up and down, but there's always opportunity for you to advance your career in the ways that you desire. And you should never let the market determine how you move and shake in your career. Uh, during the height of COVID, when unemployment was um, rounding at 16%, I was helping hundreds of women find and secure new roles, helping my mentees garner $30,000 salary increases. So I want to, I would first be sort of doing a mindset check with you about why you feel like the market should di dictate how much money you make. But beyond that, if you were looking to stay in with your current employer and secure a raise and promotion within this organization, the first thing that I invite my mentees to do is to do uh, an assessment of their work currently. So typically raises and promotions um, are happen when there is at, at minimum, um, a 20% overflow from your current responsibilities. So when you come into a job, you have a job description, you have an outline of what's expected of you in that work. And typically in any standard role, there's other duties as a sign, right? Other things that um, an employer might ask you to do outside of your standard scope of work. When you pass over the threshold of 20% beyond what's outlined as your core duties, that means that your scope has expanded 
significantly expanded outside of its standard scope. And that's when you know it's likely time to ask for a raise in promotion. So the first thing we want to do is do that assessment. If you recognize, yeah, I'm at 25%, I'm at 30%, hey, I'm at 50% outside of what I was, you know, a, uh, initially assigned to do, then that's when it's time to uh, request a raise or promotion. You'll want to outline the ways in which you're contributing to the organization, again, sharing the delta, talking specifically about how um, the impact of your work and how you're driving results for the organization. Um, and then you make the ask. You want to outline exactly what the new job title that you desire and the percent increase or the dollar amount. And you um, give your employer um, a framework um, in which to work. Uh, like a time frame in which to uh, um, to release the raise. So I did do something similar to what you just described. And I remember going to websites like Glassdoor to get information about what other networks were paying, what was the average for the state that I was in, um, different title changes and things like that. And I remember presenting it to them and them saying that there, it wasn't in the budget or um, waiting until the end of the third quarter, you know, a lot of run, run around eventually didn't happen. So what do you do in a situation like that where you feel like you're stuck? Sure, so no is common. Um, I find um, that 30% of the time when my mentees are asking from something for an employer or when they're asking for, um, they're negotiating, right? They're negotiating a new salary offer. About 30% of the time, the employer will say yes. Um, they'll just give you whatever you want. They'll, they'll say yes. I would say 40% of the time they'll say no, but. So the no, but is like, no, we can't do this, but we can do this. No, we can't do this, but we, we, could, they, we can do this. Uh, so 70% of the time the employer desires to work with the employee, but 30% of the time they do say no, right? We have employers who um, perpetually, um, you know, under employ people um, that don't, they don't pay people for the value of their expertise. Um, and so you know, that 30% is there and, it, and it's common. And I'm sorry to hear that your employer didn't value you in the ways that um, they should have. And when they say no, um, and actually before they say no, right? Like when you are considering that, I always invite my mentees to make sure you have lots of pathways and options. So I want you, even before you go into a conversation about um, raising promotion, you should be um, being thoughtful about your job search to know that 30% of the time, often employers will say no. And so you could find yourself in that 30%. Um, and then if they, if you hadn't been doing that already, if you hadn't been job searching, then that's when I'm going to invite you to get in, into the marketplace, right? And start to position yourself as a tough candidate in the market. And what are some of the green flags I should be looking for when I'm applying for a position? When my mentees are applying, um, when they're job searching, so before we ever get to job searching, uh, I teach my mentees um, in my Mentor Me Accelerator how to, one, know exactly what they're good at. Um, their ability to articulate their skill set in an impactful way is critical to being able to gain the attention of an employer. So we first need to know what you're good at. We need to know what you're not good at um, and mitigate those things so that we make sure they don't get in the way. Um, we want to know what your values are, what makes you tick, what, how you make decisions um, in your career. And we need to know exactly what industries impact 
areas, functional areas, and position titles for which you are seeking. So once we know what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you value, and what your career area of impact is, again, the industry, the impact area, the functional area, and the position title, that's when we start job searching. So not before. A lot of people, when they think, oh, I hate my job, I need to go find a new job, they just start job searching. When there's so much work that's critical to do before you job search to, to bring ease into your job search process. But when you are job searching, when you get in front of the employer, the green flags you want to be looking for is alignment. You want to be looking for alignment between what you're good at, what you value, and the industry impact area, functional area, and position title for which you're seeking. When there's a trifecta there, that's a green flag. That's amazing. So in a situation where you're going You've done all of this work. We've been working together for eight weeks at this point. And there is a position that I know I can do, but I didn't have the previous titles that would prove that I can do this work. How do you navigate that? We would never get there because my mentees only apply for jobs that they actually want and that are aligned with what they're good at, mm -hmm. what they value, and their career area of impact. Identifying um, identifying the right next role for you is very little about whether or not you've done stair-stepped roles prior to. Um, I think about my mentee, Joelle, who um, just secured a $17,000 salary increase um, moving from a coordinator, an area coordinator, she works in education. This is a very entry-level role. She's 24 years old. She just secured a dean position. Um, she went from area coordinator, entry-level role to a dean. She did not stair-step because her skill set matched the dean's skill set. And so I don't teach my mentees, you know, this is not a limiting thing where we've got to do this and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. No, we're going to talk about what you're good at. I'm going to teach you how to articulate it in an impactful way. And we're going to match that skill set to roles in the marketplace. And those roles may be significantly above where you are right now. Um, and that's what we expect because that's what my mentees come to me and desire. And I deliver on that desire. Well, Ashley, Ooh. you got a new mentee, honey. We're, we're so programmed that we think we need to follow a certain step, there's a certain path that you have to go to to attain that director, assistant director, VP position. But you're telling me someone went from a coordinator to a dean. Flat out. Like, I, we, and it was so funny because she's like, Ashley, I've never negotiated this, you know, uh, I never negotiated before. Like, I'm so nervous. And, you know, I was like, Joelle, like, so one, fear is okay, right? There's no shame and fear. Fear is a natural reaction. There's no shame and fear. You can be scared and you can ask for what you desire. The initial offer already came in at 17K over what she was making. I'm a significant salary increase. Um, but she knew she desired more. Um, and in general, I tell my mentees, it doesn't matter what the offer comes in, we're always going to ask for more. So she wanted, I think, 10K more. Um, that was the ask. That's, that was, she was, that's what, what she was going to ask for. Um, they, she was in the no but area. So they came back with 6K. Um, so no, I can't give you 10, but I'm going to give you six. Um, and um, they also threw in like a meal plan for on campus, you know, which is, you know, can equate to, you know, if you eat as much as I do, Chad, it equates to thousands of dollars, <laughs> um, right on top of your salary. And so 
Yeah. And I think, you know, she was so scared. And, and I said, you know, the, like, I understand the fear and fear is normal and fear is okay. And if, even if they say no, you're going to be wiping your tears with $17,000. Mm. That's that'll dry up anything. So we might as well make the ass. And now we can wipe our tears with, you know, what's 17 plus six. Y'all, y'all know math. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? 23. You can now wipe your tears with $23,000 from the 10. Cause you didn't get the, uh, the other four, but you can still wipe your, it's $23,000 is plenty of money to wipe your tears with. So you can be scared and cry about it. And then we can wipe our tears with the no, but. I hear that. So um, one of the things that you said a little while ago is understanding what your strengths are and understanding what your weaknesses are. And a common question that comes up in interviews, regardless of if it's the retail job or the corporate job is, well, can you tell me about your weaknesses? And I've told people, you know, that's your time to finesse that question and talk about your strengths. And I care too much. But how would you mentor people in articulating their weaknesses in a way that shows growth? Don't articulate your weaknesses in a way that show growth. That is the wrong strategy. Mm-hmm. This outdated feedback or advice or tip of like, when they ask you about your weaknesses, flip it into a strength. It's outdated. It's played out and everybody sees it coming. Let's lean into authenticity. Let's lean into the truth. The truth is there are things that I'm not good at. And when you start to set it up, like I can do anything. I'm superwoman. Then they're going to burden you on your back. Start telling these people, this is what I'm not good at. I have a high level like of expertise in this area. I do not have a high level of expertise in this area, right? And so in session one of the Mentor Me Accelerator, I teach my mentees, we go through a patented um, assessment tool that I've developed, um, leveraging my years of experience in corporate nonprofit and educational leadership. They go through the assessment. We really call through what they're good at. Um, what they're not good at. We, then we match their skill set to the, the primary skills that employers are looking for today. I'm updating this assessment all the time to really make sure it's relevant to the marketplace. So they go through that and then I, they identify exactly what they're good at. And then they identify what they're not good at, right? Um, and once you identify what you're not good at, then we, we work on what's called a mitigation strategy, right? So everyone has weaknesses. For example, one of mine is that I'm not detail-oriented. You are not going, I have dyslexia. I can barely spell words. You're not going to get a detailed who, what, why, when, where, every detail, what time, like, you're not going to get an itinerary for me. Like not, I mean, maybe like if I was planning a girl's trip, but not for work, it's not going to happen. I don't, I'm not a detail oriented person. Um, however, um, when, you know, at my level of leadership, like detail is not required typically, right? Like they're looking for a visionary. They're looking for a futuristic thinker. They're looking for someone who's agile, who's a leader, right? Being detail oriented is not required for the work that I desire to do at this point in my career. I have an administrative assistant for that. So when you ask me about my weaknesses, I'm going to be honest to say I'm not detail oriented. It's not a skill that I have. And how I mitigate that is that I have strong administrative staff who can support me in the details while I move the organization forward using my visionary and futuristic thinking. So we've gone through the assessments. We've gone through the soft skills. We've gone through the interview we've received this $23,000 offer. It's your first day there and you're hit with imposter syndrome. How do we navigate that? Because everyone goes through it. I go through it. Shauna goes through it. Lance goes through it. Like, how did I get here? I've bamboozled the entire company and they actually- I've hustled and I've made it. Now what? (laughs) They're going to find out, you know what I mean? I'm going to make a stupid mistake. 
all eyes are going to be all types of thoughts are running through your head. How do you mm-hmm. deal with this? Sure. In session six of the Mentor Me Accelerator, it's called Start Smart. Um, I um, teach my mentees how to start smart and what your first 90 days should look like to really go into a role and be successful. Um, And so in session six of the Mentor Me Accelerator, we really walk through what it looks like to um, start smart and be intentional about what you do, what you say, and what you ask in the first 90 days to position yourself like the expert that you are. Session six really helps my mentees combat imposter syndrome. And my thoughts about the concept in general is that I want um, professional women in particular, because it's primarily who I serve, but I really want to invite professional women to stop assigning imposter syndrome to themselves. Imposter syndrome is like air. It exists in the world, particularly in the United States, where sexism, racism, and ableism abound. It is in the air. This society is designed to have you second-guessing yourself at no end. So you don't have to say, I have imposter syndrome. Child, everyone has imposter syndrome like everyone has oxygen and is breathing in the world. What I want to invite professional women into is this idea that Like that's a societal issue. It's not your issue. Stop assigning it to yourself as if if it belongs to you. It does not belong to you. And aside from the specific and targeted strategies that I teach in the accelerator, one of the things that I use to navigate the atmosphere of imposter syndrome, because again, it doesn't belong to me, but it does exist in the world, is that I constantly am telling myself the truth right? So the truth is that I am capable. I am able. The cake, the truth is that I am a literal expert. The truth is that I'm well-credentialed and I, I, I'm a highly sought after professional. Like that's the truth. And that's the truth of a lot of professional women's experience. Um, but their inability to sort of walk into that truth and to like, a, a then like attach imposter syndrome to themselves and take it on as their personal assignment and think that they, you know, their personal Goliath. Like I want to invite you not to do that. Just like I wouldn't invite a Black woman to take on fixing racism at work, right? You can be a part of um, a diversity and equity and committee. committee. You can, um, you know, call out bias when you see it, but taking on the responsibility of any ism in the workplace, um, even for the people who are I don't know, like that's part of their job, their diversity uh, inclusion expert, or, you know, that's their role. Um, It's not your job to fix it in totality. And so I really want people to stop assigning sort of societal issues to their personhood. Okay. You just read me for filth, Ashley. (laughs) I'm here to serve. (laughs) So um, I had another question. It's just like, just kind of wanted to go over like common questions that you get at an interview that I think people sometimes fumble the bag on. And, and I want to talk about, you mentioned values and goals and aligning yourself along with what you want. When the future employer asks a question along the lines of, well, what, what didn't you like about your old job? And how do you, how do you plan? Like, what are you hoping to get out of this job? So like, how do you navigate the space of like, I try not to badmouth people too much because in this world, as big as it is, it is also very small in certain industries. How do you articulate the things you disliked about a previous workplace 
while also saying what you hope to get out of this current workplace that you're trying to get into? Yesterday, I interviewed Yesterday, I interviewed a um, professional um, who's seeking employment in my office. Um, I asked her a question um, similar to what you were describing. Um, you know, you know, a lot of the work that you would be doing in my office related to this role is similar to the work that you do um, currently. You know, what is it about my organization, my unit, um, working with me specifically, working with um, the students that we serve? Um, what is it about this role specifically that interests you? And um, so I'll, I'll leverage what she said as an example. It was an exemplary answer. And it really made me feel like I want this person to be a part of my team based on how she responded. And I think this is a model. Uh, she specifically talked about two things, none of which that were like, so one note about this, one thing that people do that they, that I invite them not to do is that they make it personal. They make it about them. Well, they didn't let me do this and they didn't support me and I wasn't making enough money. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the organization. This organization has a problem. They are looking for people to solve their problem. Are you that person? You need to make it about your skill set. Will your skills solve my problem, right? So this person who I interviewed said, my current organization lacks expediency and innovation. Mm. How does she know that those were my top priorities? Because she had did her research. Mm -hmm. It's clear if you, I mean, and I, I'm a like pretty public figure. Like you can go on my Instagram, my YouTube, my organization's website. All I'm talking about is innovation and expediency. How can we move quickly, solve problems and do it differently than anybody else? So she was able to articulate my values as a supervisor back to me and talk about how her current organization lacked those things and how she attempted to drive uh, expediency and innovation in her organization, how her organization balked at that, right? Not calling any names, but just saying that though, that wasn't that organization's values. And she's looking to align those values that are her own, that also happen to be mine and my organizations with me. She was able to articulate that. So she said something like, you know, in my current organization, um, you know, I've been um, looking for innovative ways to do X, Y, and Z. And um, I've come up with some innovative ways and I'm, I'm proud to share after advocating for eight months, I was able to move them forward. Um, and now this is a best practice in my current organization. However, um, I've recognized that innovation isn't a value of theirs. They have so many layers within the organization. It doesn't really allow me to move quickly and be agile and really drive innovation. And one of the things that I've learned about your organization is that um, it does move fast. It is agile. You know, there's um, space to fail and then rebound. And that's what I'm looking to align myself at this stage in my career. Is that helpful? Yes, a lot. Um, question, Ashley. So I recently just started a new job, was just offered and everything. Congratulations. And thank you. And in the thick of the negotiation, um, into the thick of it, I was talking about asking questions about their work from home policy, because this is a new thing, um, benefits and perks and titles and pay increases. I just really want to know, because you, know, you, get the, you get the offer and you're super excited and you want to know how much they're paying you and all these other things, but I care more about the smaller details, like your, your unlimited PTO, my title, the, the um, ability the to work from home. Um, what, what do you have in place for, you know, 
schools shutting down? What do you, like, I want to know all these smaller things. What should people be asking for after the offer is on the table? I teach my mentees in session five of the Mentor Me Accelerator um, all of the things that they should be asking for um, in a negotiation or should be reviewing in the negotiation. And many of the things that you just shared are among that list. Um, so uh, one, some, uh, some of the things that I teach my mentee in the Accelerator, some of the things that I teach my mentees in the Accelerator um, are to ask about technology Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, are you, am I getting, you know, a five-year-old Dell or am I getting, you know, the latest iOS, you know, device, like what, what am I getting? Um, I invite my mentees to, uh, talk about professional development at minimum. I invite my mentees to negotiate 5% of the total salary to professional development. Um, I invite my mentees to ask about, um, flexible work schedules. So, uh, you know, work from home or work release um, or things like that. Uh, certainly health benefits, dental vision, um, 401k. Uh, I also invite my mentees to ask about any other things that they feel like they might need in the role to be successful. So ask about a budget. Um, unfunded mandates are you playing yourself. You should always walk into a role with a budget. If they want to hire you and they don't have a budget, it's not a role that you should take. What is the budget for me to do this work? Um, that's a critical question and one that I invite my mentees to negotiate along with the offer. You can negotiate additional colleagues if you need an administrative assistant. For Again, with my weaknesses, I'm not going to take on a role where I don't have a dedicated staff assistant because um, I wouldn't be successful in the role. Um, so those are the kinds of things um, that I invite my mentees to negotiate. And each of my mentees, we work together to customize their counter offers to make sure they're comprehensive of the specific things that they need at this point in their career. And do you stay with your mentees after the position has been taken? I do. So um, I offer um, two different um, pro professional development programs for women. One is a Mentor Me Accelerator. It's an eight-week career advancement program. It's specifically designed for new and mid-level professional women who are looking to make more money and have more impact in their career. Um, and then I offer a um, six-month um, mastermind program. It's called the Mentor Me Mastermind Program. It's a six-month executive coaching program. It's more for mid-level and senior-level professional women. In, and it's more about advancing to the highest levels of leadership, executive level leadership, vice president levels, and or, well, senior directors and, uh, and uh, above. Beyond those two programs, after my mentees complete my programs, they're invited into what's called the Mentor Me Legacy Program. It's not a public facing program. It's only, it's invite only for people who have completed my programs, but it allows my mentees to stay with me for as long as they like. Um, uh, they are in the Legacy Program and I continue to work with them throughout their career development. Ashley, can you tell our listeners how they can find you? Yeah, the best place for you to find me is on my website at mentor-me.org. That's M-E-N-T-O-R-me.org. On social, on Instagram, you can find me at Ashley Ashire. That's A-S-S-H-I-R-E-A-S-S-H-I-R-E. So on Instagram, it's Ashley Ashire. Um, and you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. It's um, Ashley uh, Ashire on LinkedIn as well. Um, or you can go to Mente Mentor Me Business page on LinkedIn also. And I look forward to connecting um, with you both and your community.
I love the way you celebrate your mentees. I've been watching your IG lives. I've been watching your IG stories. And she was screaming hysterically because <laughs> one of her mentees just got, was it like a $35,000? $35,000 salary increase. She was yes. screaming at the top of her lungs, <laughs> celebrating this one. And I love that. I love when we win and we celebrate one another. Yeah, it's a joy. It. You know, I said the other day, like, if you don't like seeing women win, please don't follow me because all I have is wins over here. It's just so many wins to the point that like, I'm going to do an IG live today. And I'm like, okay, Ashley, you got to talk about like, you know, talk about the pain point, talk about the struggle, <laughs> because I don't want people to just be like, follow me and be like, oh, like, let me sign up uh, so that I can get a $35,000 salary increase too, because you are like my, 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 my results are proven, right? Like my, my mentees get results and my my program is challenging. Like it, I only accept women who I know I can serve and it is a challenging program um, because I have to, so often I have to help you unthink so many things, right? Everyone thinks they know how to find mm -hmm. a new job. Everybody thinks they know how to do this and, and they don't. And there's so many outdated misconceptions, just wrong ways to do this. And, and because because of that, there's just so much unlearning. <laughs> um, and so I want to sort of invite you into that, that challenge, but also a lot of support, right? Why do you think we're stuck to this archaic way of doing things? Why is this information so hard to find? Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. I don't think- I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I think that a lot of it has to do is that some of the older people who are in schools will, reiterate the things that they were used to doing that they still think that works. So like something as simple as the whole, your full address on your resume. People like, so when kids are graduating, I'm like, why is your, why is your address on here? You're sending this to a college. They already got all this stuff in the application, but because someone older taught them that that's the way it looks, that's the way it has to look. That's what it's supposed to say. They follow those formats. Well, that's when cross-generational issues come into play because sometimes that is the person who's interviewing you and they're yes. stuck in their ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think that you're, you're both spot on. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's outdated things that are sort of passed on from generation to generation. Even this idea that like, just put your head down and do your work. Don't rate, don't ruffle no feathers, right? Like all of that energy has women in particular stuck in roles that they just trying to make it through. I just got a good job. Well, I don't want to rock the boat. And they said, you know, next month they was going to, you know, give me a raise. And as soon as my boss retire, and so like, it's all of this waiting and holding up as if we have a million years on this earth, right? And we just can wait until we, somebody else put us on before we can be happy. Like it's, it's this outdated piece. And then it's also, I think the, the fact that people have found marginal success with some of these strategies. So you could have a terrible resume and still get the job. Nepotism, being white. I mean, there's just a lot of reasons why you could be very mediocre and still be successful, but it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's working. It just means that like, you know, there's a fluke or privilege and bias, right? But like, so I think that, Sometimes, unfortunately, when somebody luck up on some, then they think it's a strategy <laughs> and, they, and they sell it to people because they, they lack integrity. Um, but but what I want to invite people into is like a proven framework, something that like works repeatedly over and over again um, and something that's not a fluke, um, it, but it's a system that provides support. And, and I think that's what differentiates Mentor Me in the marketplace. Now, can I ask you a question? 
I, and Shauna could speak to this also. I'm very direct. I'm very assertive. I'm very proactive. I like to go in and get the job done. Me and Lance have worked together for a couple of years, so he knows this. And Shauna, Shauna is a teacher. She's direct, but she knows she has a soft, gentle touch because she's working with kids. So there's a tendency of coming across like a bitch or rough or um, aggressive. aggressive or, you know, she doesn't really play to the room. She's not soft enough. She's not for sensitive people. You, you know, all the things that they like to say because they want you to, what's the word? Uh, uh, be more dumb it down, feminine. pretty it up, put a bow on it. How like <laughs> how do how do you navigate this? Um, I think there's a couple of reflections that this pops up for me. So, I I think that this is a common challenge for um, Black women in particular. Um, it reminds me of like the tipping conversation. Like Black people don't tip. And the, and the quintessential question is, do Black people not tip or are you giving me bad service and thus I'm not tipping because you didn't provide the level of service that I desire? And so I think this is kind of like an age old question. So I'm going to, I promise I'm going to answer the question, but I kind of go on about this in a roundabout way. So one of my mentees just yesterday, her name's Lisa. Lisa is 55 and works in the nonprofit sector. Lisa came to session uh, yesterday and she said, Ashley, you know, I'm really frustrated. Um, you know, I have this junior staffer on my team and he doesn't respect me. He, what he, he, you know, he's wildly out of pocket. He doesn't respect me. And I need some strategy on how to like get him to respect me and like get this relationship in line. Mm. And I was like, you know, thank you for sharing this, you know, absolutely understand this pain point. It can be really challenging to, to feel like you have a, a, a subordinate, right? A staff member who doesn't um, respect you. And I kind of want to break down what exactly does respect mean, right? <clears throat> what does direct mean, right? Like, we need to break some of this stuff down because you're saying he doesn't respect you when what he may be doing is asking you challenging questions, which is not disrespect. It's a, an, an attempt to mm -hmm. clearly understand what his role is and get direction and support from you. So the first thing that we need to do is like really like break apart these coded words. Am I being, am I being um, aggressive or am I being direct? Am I being confrontational or am I calling out bullshit? And I hope I can cuss on the podcast, yeah, right? Like what, what is, what is, what, it, what, what are the behaviors? Let's, let's pull apart these coded words and let's really talk about the behaviors. So as it relates to aggression or confrontational, um, is my voice elevated? Is my brow furled? It, uh, uh, am I, um, posturing in a way that restricts space for others, right? Like, let's break down the behaviors. And if those are not, if those behaviors are not present, then I'm not being aggressive. I'm being direct, right? If those behaviors are present, then perhaps I am being aggressive, but then don't, don't, don't hit me over the head and tell me don't hurt. So, so it's, it's like a both. And like, we, like, I think sometimes Black women are aggressive in the workplace, right? They are yelling, they are posturing, they are mad, and rightfully so. You don't get to abuse me, shame me, you know, you know, treat me in a way that's inhumane and then get mad at me when I'm not acting human, when I'm not acting civil. 
And also, right? So that's part of it. And then also, if I'm not, if I'm not exhibiting those behaviors, your language is coded and racist. And I want to invite you to reflect on that. Because that's not my my behaviors aren't matching the the phraseology, the words that you're using. Um, And so, you know, as a woman in the workplace, I invite you to like investigate that for yourself. Right. And it's helpful to do with someone else. Right. Sometimes we can't we can't observe our own. We can't observe ourselves, right? We're in our bodies. We're functioning in our bodies. We can't always observe. So I invite you to bring a trusted advisor into this. This is why it's helpful to have a mentor who can really break these things down for you. So so with my mentee, Lisa, the first thing that Lisa and I are going to do is break down what does respect look like, right? What what does it look, what does respectful behavior look like? And what does disrespectful behavior look like? What, 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 what does it look like to you in general? We ain't talking about this person's behavior. We're talking about what does it mean to you? And then we're going to talk about their behavior. And then we're going to do a cross analysis, right? What are the behaviors that they're exhibiting that you deem disrespectful? What does respect look like to you? And then we're going to invite this staffer into a conversation because the first thing we need to do is set expectations. So expectations look like, so, and, and my model of leadership is service leadership. So I need to remind Lisa that she's in service to the staffer. You're in service to him. You're his supervisor. Your job is to serve him. Are are you being in service? Are you focused on him disrespecting you? So the first thing that we need to to work through is you need to ask him, how can I best be in service to you? How can I best serve you? How can I help you be most successful in this role? Right? You need to ask that because you need to understand what they need from you. Then you can go into your expectations. And here's what I'll need from you to best serve you. I'll need this from you. And you just saying, I need you to respect me, that ain't gonna cut it. Cause we don't, we want all raised by the same auntie. So we don't have the same levels of respect. It doesn't mean the same to us. We need to talk less about these big words and, and, I, and by big, I don't mean the syllables. I just mean like respect and more about behavior. And once we do that, we're all well, we're all better served. I love that you saw management in a position of serving. So sometimes in the position of management, they think you work for me. You do what mm. I want. This is yep. my rules. This is how I want it. And it's actually a two-way street. Ashley, you want everything. Thank you. I received that. <laughs> Ashley, we are going to tell everyone to go follow you on Instagram. Please follow you on LinkedIn. Please watch your YouTube videos. Please log in for her IG live tonight at 8 o'clock. It is going to be amazing. Thank you for joining us this week. Our listeners love you. Auntie Allie loves you. Auntie Shana loves you. Normally, I don't love people. Of course, Cousin Lance Of course, Cousin Lance loves you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having me.